Welcome to the Lakers nightcap with Joe Sorrell. I should say Lakers fast break nightcap. I'm going back, or I should say I'm staying with the Tito's tonight, folks. I'm feeling a little clear alcohol tonight. So, you know, you see here that little, some people say that the uh, spill at the beginning is uh, is usually the one that goes out, not the one that goes in. <laughs> I am using sugar-free Red Bull. So tonight we're doing Tito's vodka, my favorite vodka, and we're doing a little bit of sugar-free Red Bull. Salute to everyone. So for those of you who've been listening to the post-game show with Gerald, John, and, and Sean with me, uh, I'm going to try to continue a little bit of the discussion with with tonight's game and and what what what's coming up here on the Grammy trip and uh, an eventual uh, trade deadline, so if you guys have any questions on what uh, what you think might happen, what you prefer to happen, what's likely to happen, and how this is going to eventually come out and and how it's going to benefit the Lakers, go ahead and uh, send your questions. I'll go ahead and do my best to answer. For those who have just checked in. Uh, and maybe didn't watch the game. The Lakers beat the Bulls tonight, 141 to 132. Uh, D'Angelo Russell had, I would say, I, he was definitely the player of the game, at least for me. Ended up dropping 29 points. He had eight three-pointers. Uh, LeBron James, 25 and 12. Uh, Anthony Davis had, that was a quiet night, but still had 22 and 11. And uh, Vanderbilt uh, had his best game of the night, or I should say for the season. Uh, played 27 minutes and made eight out of uh, 11 field goal attempts, and even hit his uh, one three-pointer. So it was a it was a good offensive game. Uh, they pretty much led the entire way. They extended their large lead throughout the second and third quarter. But I had a little bit of an issue on. Uh, I had an issue with with the fact that they they kind of laid down on defense, uh, allowing the Bulls to score 132 points was a little bit shameful, and uh, it kind of dampened the win. But you know, at this point, the Lakers have just given us the the quintessential two steps uh, back uh, every time they take a uh, one step forward. So, uh, Darren. Drinking some Dominus here tonight. Very good. You know, I might have to try that, Darren. I've I've never tried that. Again, I'm not really a big drinker, but uh, the occasional vodka and and, and mixer does kind of hit the spot. And then, of course, usually the darker type drinks like Hennessy or Honey Jack, uh, anything that I can mix with, let's say, uh, another Coke or or something that usually will do this uh, will do the do the trick. It actually tastes good. I like to make sure that the alcohol tastes good. Because typically, typically alcohol doesn't taste good to me, but uh, it does make me feel good. Sometimes I get a nice little buzz going, and uh, you know, it's it, 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 there's no there's no issues with that. <laughs> but going back to the uh, to the Lakers here, so they're gonna go on this road trip starting on Saturday. And looking at the schedule, uh, the Lakers are going to, you know, Golden State, no matter how bad they play, they, they seem to have good games with those guys. And even when the Golden State Warriors were playing well, the Lakers seem to always play them well. So 
Uh, I'm going to be watching this game intently and trying to enjoy it as best I can. And anytime you can get Steph Curry and LeBron on the court playing against each other, uh, you always like to, you know, cherish those moments as great moments in basketball because they're so great. Uh, their battles are legendary. They always will be legendary. And anytime you can, you can see that battle. Uh, I think uh, anyone who's a basketball fan uh, benefits from it. So uh, going into Golden State, uh, the Lakers are going to have a day off here. Uh, it would be nice to start the road trip with a win there. Uh, it's something that I'm kind of 50-50 on. I really don't know how it's going to play out. Uh, the only reason why I haven't been too negative on that game, I haven't talked much about it, but uh, before I got on, on, on the shows, is because the Lakers seem to play very well against Golden State no matter what. So I'm expecting that. I'm, I'm going to expect what I've seen, and that's really what 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 the Lakers' analysis are, is what have they shown you? What have they shown us? They've shown us that they're playing 500 ball. They have six games on the road uh, before they come back home to play Denver and New Orleans. So if I have to pick a record of what this is likely going to turn into, uh, you could say three and three. Uh, like their record pretty much, but I have the numbers two and four coming out of this at the moment. Uh, whether that changes or not will depend on how they play on Saturday and Monday. Uh, Monday they face Houston, and I can see them winning that too. The issue with that is there's a back to back, and they're playing Atlanta the next night, and usually the Lakers make bad calls on who they play on back-to-backs. So that's the issue I have there. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if LeBron's going to sit that Atlanta game or if they're going to sit AD. They haven't really been sitting AD, so I don't think that's going to happen. But are they going to sit? Let's say they win Saturday and they beat Houston on Monday. Are they going to sit LeBron for Tuesday? I would bet yes. And then at that point, the Lakers are going to have to decide on whether they're going to tr- win a game without LeBron. That's that's where that goes. Uh, let's see. Who would you trade for D'Lo now, if ever? Craving, if they're going to trade D'Lo, and it doesn't matter even from tonight or how well he's played, if you're going to trade D'Lo, because he's an expiring contract, that in itself is already value to a team. The fact that he's playing well, I don't know necessarily if it changes anything because are they looking at him as a piece or are they looking at him as an expiring contract? He's an expiring contract. Anyone who's going to want D'Angelo likely that wants to get rid of a player that's probably got an extended contract that they don't want, that's the kind of team that's going to want to trade with the Lakers. Is it, It's not going to be a, a team that's going to trade for D'Angelo because they need his services. I don't, I don't, I don't know if because then at that point it's like, well, what are the Lakers going to get out of that from that team? That is the team going to give the Lakers a couple of first round picks and then maybe a filler to get his services so that they that D'Angelo can help that team win in the playoffs or get in the playoffs. At that point, it's a it, it, it's counterproductive because the Lakers are not trying to gather draft picks. And that's what that play would do. They're trying to get a player in here that would hopefully exceed 
even D'Angelo in terms of value. Can that guy be the all-around player? The Lakers need an all-around player for it to make sense. Someone who can play good team defense and actually score too. Who is that guy? If anybody knows who's that guy, I'd like to know. Deontay Murray, I don't know. I don't know if he's that guy. And when you come to L.A. and you start dealing with the pressure, again, this is not going to be Atlanta. It's not going to be even San Antonio, even San Antonio, even in their A-day. Everyone in San Antonio loved the San Antonio Spurs, win, lose, or draw. In in L.A., we're not like that. We're we're maniacs here. When you lose two games in a row, we're all over you. So I don't know. I don't know what what that player would do. What player could could do the two things that we need, which is play consistent defense in an area where the Lakers have been dreadful on. I mean, dreadful. The Lakers, when they have Torian Prince, D'Angelo Russell, and Austin Reeves in the lineup, their defense suffers greatly. And on top of that. The coaching on uh, the coaching doesn't put those guys in positions to succeed just a little bit or to maintain a little bit. So you have this storm of just bad physical play that they, you know, Dawson Reeves and D'Angelo can't help. And on top of that, the Darvin Ham is, uh, is, is has an inability to mask it as best he can and create a diversion from it. He just can't. He just doesn't have the the system or the or the coaching ability to do that. So that's kind of where I'm looking at on that. Can we get Mitchell out of out of him? Will he move the needle? Are you talking about Donovan Mitchell? I like DeRozan and Caruso, Darren. I like I like I like I like uh, I like DeRozan and Caruso a lot actually for this team. Uh, I'm going to answer Craven's question or, or suggestion. So Donovan Mitchell, looking at his setup in Cleveland. I'm going to – and Cleveland is playing well enough to where they're, you know, they're pretty high in the standings here. What are they sitting at right now? Uh, fifth? The question there is why would Cleveland make that trade? Why would they make that trade? Because there's nothing the Lakers have uh, aside from LeBron and AD that would enhance the team. So I don't think – Cleveland is going to want to trade Donovan Mitchell right now anyways. They'll probably want to trade him next year because he still has another year next year, and then he has a player option, I believe. Yeah, a player option in 25-26. Right now, they're playing well enough to be a fifth seed. They could possibly play a little bit better and maybe even get up to a fourth seed. So I I just don't see them trading Donovan Mitchell. But let's just say they did. Who would we send out? Who would make sense? Uh, unfortunately, you'd, you'd, you'd go from uh, – you'd have to trade probably D'Angelo Russell and Reeves, a combination, two of the three combinations of D'Angelo Russell, Reeves, or Rui, and then some draft capital. But that doesn't help Cleveland this year. They just don't. So I don't, I don't see that uh, making any sense for Cleveland. Um, uh, Darren, you had mentioned uh, – what was it? Uh, DeRozan and Caruso. My question there is DeRozan is on his last contract. So they don't have any pressure and let him go unless they're able to get a good amount of draft capital. Uh, what the Lakers would need in this scenario is they would need a third partner that could send 
Chicago probably two more first-round picks. Who does Palinka know in the NBA that could help him there? That can send two first-round picks to Chicago. The Lakers would send their 29th pick, and then and then let's say Rui to get DeRozan and Caruso. And then who are you sending? What kind of what do you what are you sending to uh, to the third team? It's a very complicated trade at that point. I don't know what the third team would would warrant to help the Lakers. It's going to be very difficult. I unfortunately I don't see uh that trade being possible anyways um if 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 anybody's gonna get caruso i would say it's probably i would say the sixers or an oklahoma city thunder especially the oklahoma city thunder they could send some money to the to chicago and do a derozan caruso uh package and just send them a sick amount of draft picks and maybe a filler in terms of a player. If you did that, Oklahoma City starts to get very scary, even this year. They might be even a skip a year ahead of where I think they might be a dominant team, which is next year when Chet Holmgren has a year under his belt. Shea has another year under his belt. He'll start getting into his prime prime. I mean, that team could be very, very, very scary at that point. So that's that's the likelihood. That's what I see in terms of, but the, the DeRozan Caruso, I see those guys, or at least see Caruso uh, going to a Philly team or an Oklahoma City team, because that that player might be that that link that just take them a little over to where they want to go. LeBron Lethal. <laughs> I don't think Genie would trade LeBron for even a prime Shea Gilgis at this point. Uh, she loves those big names, and she, uh, the Lakers have made their bones by having the megastars wearing the Laker gold and being loyal to them. I don't. I just don't see. I don't see how uh, that'll ever change. Uh, but there is a reality coming here, folks. Uh, now, I don't think LeBron is going to opt out. If he does, it would be a huge surprise. You're talking about. Uh, one more year left on his contract after uh, this season's over. And uh, he's going to make a decision on whether he wants to get paid almost $51.5 million. I, being the cynic I am, I don't see anyone turning down $51.5 million. If he was to turn it down, uh, I don't see another team paying him that amount of money either. Uh, what could happen is he could get extended if Genie feels like he's got another year left on his contract. So pay attention to that. I'd say if there was a bet to be made, I wouldn't be surprised if LeBron opted out and signed a two-year extension. And, of course, the last year being a player option, getting paid a little bit more money. I'd say that was that's probably the likely scenario. Now, the issue there is how do you play, how do you deal with D'Angelo when his contract's over? Because I believe he's going to opt out and and try to get after a multi, multi-year multi deal. Will the Lakers trust him enough to sign him to a multi-year deal? Are you going to make a trade and then get your draft pick and do that thing again like we were trying to do last year? That's, that's stuff that I'd say 
is going to be a hot topic once once the offseason comes. Um, <clears throat> if LeBron does not pick up his option, who would who we think we will go for? I don't know. Uh, there aren't any big names this summer, unfortunately. I think uh, you've got like a James Harden and those type of players. I don't really know, guys. I don't. The, the, the free agent market has changed drastically the last couple of years. Uh, it used to be a very exciting time. It used to have big names going out there and trying to get their next payment and the movement from whatever team they're out they're they're with. They're 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 going somewhere. Nowadays, I don't think anybody wants to risk not being able to get their supermax deal. So they're staying at home. The system is creating a market that that make that's making the players stay with their current teams because they can make their most money there. And now if they make an all NBA team, they can get their super super deal contracts. So the NBA is shifting, folks. Uh, it's very unlikely that you're gonna ever improve. Uh, if you're a fan of a team other than through the draft or some player demanding to go somewhere, which the Lakers have benefited from both. So how that plays out, I don't know. We have Luca. That's, you know, a lot, a lot of word out there that Luca's not likely going to stay in Dallas for the rest of his career. There might be a chance there in a few years. Giannis, if things don't work out in Milwaukee, keep your eye on uh, your eye out on that. I thought this last off season when Giannis signed his extension, I thought, uh, Milwaukee has done everything to keep him happy and try to keep the team competitive for championships. Uh, but I can see Giannis uh, turning uh, turning a little bit here from his normal demeanor. Uh, he's becoming a little bit more sinister. Uh, that ha- that tends to happen a lot to, to, to young stars who finally get tired of the negativity around them. They turn they start turning on 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 the system, the media, the 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 naysayers or whatever the, the pickers the guys that always pick and if let's say Milwaukee completely blows it this year uh, or and then blows it again next year I wouldn't be surprised if Giannis starts chirping at, at, at the front office and saying look I, I think I need a new start guys can you send me somewhere now the the, the key there is going to be what the Lakers can accumulate should LeBron retire next year. This is Raphael from NBADraftJunkies.com, and you are listening to the Lakers Fast Break. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. I don't feel like that people have done that as much, especially with this international release. You can get out there right now. I know you can get it out there, but it, it feels like this time last year, people have just been like, oh, you can get you the Here's cell phone version yeah. that was taped somewhere where it's like, you know, <laughs> shell shaky has some dude or some family that's walking right in front of you as they're climbing their seat with the popcorn already in hand. You oh, know, come on, that, really? yeah, that version is already available. Yeah. But I mean, like with a mono I, sound, there you go. Oh God. Yeah. That's, that's the worst part. You only get sound on the left ear, yep. not the right ear. <laughs> I Something like that. You can find that version already if you really want it. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Catch our shows on Worldwide Radio seven days a week and wherever you get your podcasts. So let's just say LeBron picks up his option this year and he's on his last contract with the Lakers for 2025. 
I would say if that's the scenario, I would be on the side of the fact that LeBron's probably playing his last season in L.A. uh, in 2025. How the competition works from there, you know, that'll that'll be that'll depend on how uh, this season ends and how they uh, replenish this summer using the MLE, trading players, acquiring players. You know, those those things can obviously we, those are things we can discuss, obviously, in the next six months. That's a great question, Craven. Yep, you've been asking great questions. I think he's going to be the face of the NBA by default. He's got a very similar game to LeBron in that he's a well-rounded player, uh, very, very charismatic, very effective. The difference between Luka and LeBron is Luka can shoot. Uh, LeBron could get to the basket like a freight train. So that's really the only difference. But as far as their triple-double ability to be able to pass and rebound and score and their kind of effect on the game. Uh, I still, you know, I still put LeBron, you know, two, three steps ahead of him, no matter how good Luca is just because LeBron is a freak of nature, but Luca very well could be the face of the NBA because it, it would be by default. Uh, Luca has an easier name to, to, to say, I know that sounds stupid, but uh, names sometimes can be a deterrent. I think a lot of the problems in, in, in hockey uh, and why America – there was a time where America embraced hockey, but the reason why the last, let's say, 20 years where they haven't is because there's just too much foreign entities in it. And all these crazy names, whether it's Russian names or Swedish names or you know Canadian names, it, 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 people don't identify it too much here uh, with it. Um, but Luca, Luca's a guy I'm going to be watching. Uh, and I, I, there's a lot of things Luca does that really drive me nuts. I can't stand his whining. He, he whines too much. Uh, I also think there's an issue with his uh, work ethic in the kitchen. Uh, a lot of these players, uh, in terms of their ability, guys like Tra- Tracy McGrady, guys like Vince Carter, guys like AI, guys that were freak uh, freaks of nature and were uh, Hall of Famers. Uh, once their athleticism started to level off a little, their work ethic wasn't matching and catching that up. And Lucas seems to be a guy that doesn't like to do that either. So I'm wondering if Luca in the next, let's say, four and five years starts to, you know, go that route. If he's not careful, if I'm his manager and I'm his agent or I'm his nutritionist or whatever, or if I'm Dallas, I'm pressing him pretty hard to start focusing on his diet and his lifestyle in the kitchen. Otherwise, he's going to find himself deteriorating much, much quicker than and before he should. And in that time, uh, if, 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 if we're if the Lakers are lucky enough to pique his interest in some some way. He's going to have to leave as a free agent because I'm pretty sure Mark Cuban, if he's making those decisions still in the next two, three years, which I think he will, even though he's sold off a lot of his percentage of the Mavericks, uh, I, I, I could he, he would never tr- trade Doncic to, uh, to L.A. for anything. That's just kind of how that would go.
paying five grand to the first five to hit me up now with extra cash because I feel people still going through hard times. Bless y'all. I don't know what that means, Facebook user. That sounds like a uh, fishy thing. <laughs> but if you mean it, hey, congratulations. Thank you for taking care of everybody. But uh, I'm a, again, I'm a cynical man. I I, I think that's a that's hogwash. Uh, keeping uh, keep D'Lo great player. Well, you know we're we're prisoners of the moment right now, folks. Uh, D'Angelo's having a couple weeks here, folks. He's having a couple weeks, but uh, the true tests are going to be coming here. And while I'm not expecting him to drop eight threes in a game every every night, what I do expect is if he's got open shots and he's making them, it's going to make the Lakers a lot easier. It's going to make things a lot easier for the Lakers to be effective game in and game out. Is Jokic a pretentious stoic about basketball? Yes, he is. Absolutely. However, it doesn't matter because his results overlap that. And it's just that's that's the reality of it. It's, it is annoying, uh, but it's not as annoying as uh, Luka Doncic <laughs> get, kicking out a fan for saying you need to get on a treadmill. I think – if I was the ref in that game and I had Luca coming to me saying, hey, uh, you need to kick that guy out because he hurt my feelings, I probably would have done one of these and, and just kind of looked him up and down and like, really? I'm not kicking that fan out. Get your ass on the other side of the forest. Pay attention to the game. <laughs> yeah, Jokic, uh, I think the, 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 the thing with Jokic is he does not like to be famous. He has a little bit of Larry Bird in him. I'd say pretentious because we're in this particular era, this particular culture. It's pretentious, but it's actually not. It's actually, he just wants to come to work and leave. He doesn't want to be bothered. He doesn't, he doesn't like fame. He doesn't like to do interviews. He doesn't like to do any of that. He just wants to come play basketball and go home. So he is the modern day in terms of his disposition. He is the modern-day Larry Bird. And you're right, Darren. It is a job. Your job is to talk to the media. Your job is to, to conduct business with your constituents. Yeah, he knows that. Uh, but he but we can't expect him to like it. You know, I think that's kind of unfair if you do that. And I really don't fault him, honestly. I, I, don't, I, I don't think there's anything Jokic has done where I'm like, ah, oh, come on, Jokic, really? Um, it's just, you know, that's just who he is. And uh, for me, you can't, I don't know how you could, what are you going to do? Disagree with it? Okay. Disagree with it. But the guy don't like to be famous. He doesn't want to be famous. And in a, in a culture of attention whores, uh, it's kind of refreshing, actually. It's kind of nice to see someone that's as great as he is, and a guy that's actually starting to creep up into some pretty, uh, pretty amazing, you know, areas in terms of his position. Yeah, as long as he's effective on the court, uh, I don't think it should matter whether he likes the media or fans or not. I think that's that, that that's an admirable thing in a lot of ways. If Jordan was like Jokic, will he be famous as he is now? Larry Bird was famous. Larry Bird was famous being a jerk to the media. 
uh, was it uh, was it McMillan? I forgot her first name. What was her name? She was a beat writer for I think the Boston Globe Sports. Jackie McMullen. Jackie McMullen uh, would say, especially towards the end of Larry Bird's tenure in Boston, uh, after he tore up his Achilles, I think it was in '88. <clears throat> she said that Larry Bird was very honorary, very. And he was already naturally an honorary guy, uh, but his back issues and his legs kind of given out on him those last three, four years. She said it was very difficult to talk to Larry Bird. And even through that, uh, no one ever looked at Bird in any other way other than being a legend. Uh, but to the, in, this, in this day and age, there's enough people to kind of, I guess, cover for that, right? You don't really need to see Jokic being this holding babies and kissing babies thing. I don't think you need to see that these days. There's plenty of other uh, jokesters out there that want the attention. And uh, this particular era of young people will, will watch those people versus people who are stuck on magic, Larry Bird and Jordan only. Because if you talk to anybody during that era, uh, very few players garnered the attention of those three guys at the time. I mean, you had Hakeem, you had Isaiah, but I still knew people that were just, you know, out. I knew people then that didn't know who the hell Isaiah Thomas was, didn't know who Hakeem Olajuwon was, but everyone, the general audience knew who Larry Bird was, they knew who Magic was, and they knew who Michael Jordan was. Uh, uh, Nike, <laughs> uh, I'm going to be my observation of the Nike Jordan thing is Jordan made Nike. It's Jordan that made Nike. And he had reiterated it on uh, the last dance where, you know, if he was just some schmo who was averaging two points and two rebounds a game, nothing would have happened on that side of his business. But because he was a freak, again, when you look at Michael Jordan at that time, no one did what Michael Jordan did. Uh he, he, he had Dominique Wilkins, who had a freakish athletic game, but Michael Jordan uh, played with a with a with a elegance that just what hadn't been seen up until that point. He could dunk over you. He can. He had a sweet jumper. He could hit free throws. He won you games. He was charismatic. He could. He was. He was just. He was that guy, and that guy is what catapulted Nike, catapulted the fandom uh, it, to the NBA. It was just that it was him. It was him understanding that he was a, a particular entity that that people gravitated to because he was this guy who, who put on a show. And he, he did it on purpose. And he made sure he was there every night to do it. And people appreciated that. Imagine if he was with Adidas. Well, he wanted to be with Adidas, Craving. He wanted to be with Adidas. He, he told his mother, I don't want to go to Nike. Because Nike had solicited him to come listen to their pitch. And he said, no, I want to go to Adidas. And then his mother talked him into going to Nike. See, guys, always listen to your mom, man. I know, God rest her soul, my mother, man, I swear. The older I get, the more I realize she was never wrong about anything. So Jordan listened to mom, and as they say, uh, the rest was history. 
And uh, Nike doesn't become what it becomes without Jordan being the the uh, the added horsepower that they needed to kind of start going into that stratosphere that they've owned for the last 30 years. It was Jordan and then Bo Jackson took it to another level for a few years. And then, of course, Tiger showed up in 1997 and then things went, went the way they went. Uh, Dominic went would come flying in from him. You got to put back. Yeah, he, Dominique was that era's Vince Carter. That's, that's the comparison I use for Dominique Wilkins. He was a freakish athlete, can jump out the, the, the building, but his game didn't translate to consistent winning. Uh, he wasn't necessarily known as a defender. See, Jordan in 1988 won the Defensive Player of the Year award and the MVP, uh, and I'll, and the scoring title. He was uh, Jordan. There was no weaknesses in Jordan's game. I mean, there just there just wasn't. So uh, when you put somebody that, that doesn't have any weaknesses and um, at the same time uh, has a good look to him, is charismatic, understands that uh, how to how to interact with the with with the with the public. Uh, in, the, in in a manner of getting their attention and them wanting to spend money to watch you, yeah, he was the perfect he was the perfect uh, showman at that point. Heck, even Tiger Woods. Now that I brought him up, Tiger Woods was more like Jokic. He was more like Bird. Tiger hated being famous. He wanted to reap the benefits of the money, but he didn't like the fame. He didn't like being around people. Um, but he was so good, it didn't matter. Um, so that's 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 kind of the story there. But going back to this road trip for the Lakers, we are uh, the Lakers are this this next eight games. It's not just the six games on the road. Uh, they're coming back home and they're playing two really, 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 really good teams: Denver and New Orleans. So this next eight games uh, is going to be crucial for them. If they come back to LA three and three, uh, it's status quo. And then, of course, if they win, if they beat, let's say Denver, and they lose to New Orleans, or vice versa, they're looking at a four and four record after eight of the next after these eight games. So now you're sitting here going, they're sitting at twenty-seven and twenty-seven. Now what? We're probably still here talking about how these guys still can't figure it out. Darvin Ham sucks as a coach. And why isn't this player doing this? And why this player isn't doing that? And it's just not, it's not, nothing has indicated to me that that's not going to likely be the scenario. Uh, I have the Lakers actually losing more than three games on this road trip. I have losing four uh, because they had just haven't been able to balance these back-to-back games. So, if they don't win in Golden State, it's going to set a really bad – it's going to set really bad momentum going into Houston on Monday because now they're probably going to be a little bit tighter to try to win that game and also try to manage the following night. And if they end up going 1-2 and two or 0-3, and it's just not going to work, guys. It's not going to be a good start. And based off how they've played this year – that's probably likely the scenario. If they want to break that trend, if they want to start playing uh, at another level, 
and maybe inserting some pride and some emotion here and motivation to their team. Uh, going three and on the next three games uh, would would be a good start because I don't see Golden State being a, a problem team. They're not the Celtics. They're not Denver or Minnesota. Uh, it's, they're a middle middle of the road team, just like us. Uh, Houston, same situation, and then of course Atlanta is not a good team. So when you have LeBron and AD, I'd like to think that there's always a chance to win those games, and you should have a chance, and you should be in those games. I don't want to see any blowouts or anything like that. Now, the Boston game, you know, because it's Boston, and the analogy I always use with Boston and the Lakers is it's kind of like the Steelers and the Ravens. Uh, Steelers and Ravens for 20 years always played well against each other. There'd be an occasional blowout for one or the other, but no matter who was playing, whether it was Lamar Jackson or not, or Ben Roethlisberger or not, those teams seem to always go to the wire. And I could see the Lakers playing competitively in Boston and stealing that game. Uh, But they also could win that game and then, come back two nights later and lose to New York, which washes that win off. Uh, and after they play New York, they get a couple of days off and they play Charlotte. So let's, let's look at this. Let's look at that, that little run here. Okay. You got Golden State, you got Houston, Atlanta. Could they start three and oh, could they break the trend and go three and oh? Sure. They could. If they do, would they continue it? Would they see the Boston game after that as a must win? Uh, would they muster enough to say, look, if we go 4-0 in the first four games, can we finish this off by beating the Knicks in Charlotte? These are the questions I would be asking. These are the questions I'd be asking. I just want to beat Boston badly, even 1-5. Oh, man. Um Craving, if I knew that they weren't going to make the playoffs, I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to be a playing team again. But let's just say they were 13 and 33. Yeah, I'd be cool with that. Kind of like the Ohio State-Michigan thing. Like they could go 0-12, but as long as they beat Ohio State or Ohio State beats Michigan, that's all that matters. I still think that's kind of stupid in a way because we're about winning championships here. I'm not worried about some regular season game in, 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 in January or February. But uh, I don't think that's how it's going to play out, though. I think the Lakers are going to win one of the three, three of, one of the next three games in some way. And I think if they're going to win <laughs> the second one, I, I think they could beat Boston just from sheer focus on that particular team. And – and then maybe probably lose to New York, and then maybe squeak out a Charlotte game, which again takes them to three and three. I'm saying two and four because I'm, I'm worried about the Golden State game on Sunday. If they don't win that game, um, I can see them going two and four to finish the road trip. If they beat Golden State, I think they're assured to go three and three, and by some miracle, maybe we get lucky and go four and two. But coming back is what I'm worried about. When they get back, they're playing a back-to-back Denver and, and New Orleans. And that right there, I'm worried about. That's kind of the game I'm, I'm thinking about or that stretch I'm thinking about right now and how they manage it. Yeah, the 
Drolladay made Boston good in terms of the defense. Uh, it's almost like they got a replacement for Marcus Smart, even though they got Porzingis. Porzingis uh, injured his ankle today, but I, I heard it wasn't it wasn't uh, uh, too bad. They said if it was a playoff type you know game, he would have come back. But they smoked Miami in Miami. Boston is going to be a problem this year, folks. This isn't Boston from the last couple of years. Uh, if Porzingis stays healthy, that's going to be a problem, especially with them getting Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday almost uh, covers Marcus Smart's defense. Maybe not as good now. Uh, I can't say that considering Marcus Smart's a defensive player of the year, but enough to cover and then still have better offense than than uh, Marcus Smart, but then you also have the big guy down low. So there's going to be an interesting uh, focus for Laker fans here in the next two months. Uh, are we going to have to worry about the Boston Celtics making a run? Because that's the problem right now, in my feeling, is, is Boston going to screw everything up on top of the fact that the Lakers are screwed up? If they go on and win 18 – now we're in really, really, really deep trouble as a, as a fan base because you're going to need two more championships again to get past Boston. And what is the likelihood that the Lakers are going to win a championship anytime soon? At this point, something's going to have to happen with a superstar to come play with AD in the next year or two for that to be a real reality. But who? What happens there? We're going to have to find out. Um, let's see. Celtics, Niners, Oilers could win championships this year as an LA sports fan. That hurts. Uh, well, the Oilers, not so much. I'd like to see a Canadian team maybe win a championship this year. It's been a long time. Um, you're talking about 1993 was the last Canadian team to win a Stanley cup. Uh, it's 31 years ago, and it was the Montreal Canadiens against the LA against the LA Kings, and I remember that series vividly. It was uh, it was one one after two games, and game three, the Kings were up during that game, and then Marty McSorley got penalized for too much tape on his stick, too much curve. And then after that, it was gone. Um, yeah, 93 was 92-93 was Canadian the Canadian era of of sports. <laughs> I still remember Joe Carter's home run vividly. I remember it. I I I was cheering for Mitch Williams and the and the, the Phillies cuz I I liked the team. They were kind of like a a tamed down version of the 86. Or I should say the uh non-cokehead version of of the 86 Mets. And Mitch Williams ended up blowing two games in that series and costing them the World Series. If he hadn't blown those games, uh, the Phillies would have won it that year. Um, and as far as uh, the Chargers there, Jay, uh, yeah, uh, I was predicting a few weeks back that the best position for John, Jim Harbaugh, because I, I was all but 100% in on that Jim Harbaugh was in only Michigan after they won a championship. I was... Sure of it. And he probably would have left even if they hadn't. I think he's tired of the portal thing and tired of recruiting and all that. I think he wants to win a Super Bowl. And I said, the Chargers, as long as Dean Spanos and his group 
don't screw this up. Give him what he wants. Give him the power that he wants. I said, he's got Herbert in there. And that guy needs Jim Harbaugh. That guy right now is the happiest man in the NFL. And if he doesn't get hurt for the next five to 10 years, the Chargers are going to be a force to be reckoned with because they have a team ready to go already. They just needed the right coach, and they got him. Well, Belichick, the best spot for Belichick. I I was kind of puzzled at why he was taking a second interview with Atlanta. I, I... Atlanta doesn't really – I mean, they have a star running back in the making. Um, they have a lot of young, good players. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Ritter, unfortunately, I don't, I don't know if he's the guy, uh, especially a, a Belichick-type guy. Uh, what, I would, what I would suggest and what I was thinking, I don't think this is going to happen, but if I'm Buffalo, if I'm Buffalo and – there's been some questionable decisions by Coach McDermott. Do you pull the trigger on that and try to see if you can win something with Belichick for the next two to three years? <laughs> Belichick's going to want to coach no matter what here because he's, 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 he's just a small distance away from being the all-time winning uh, coach in the NFL history. So I'm sure he's going to come back and, while he doesn't care about stats, I think that's a pretty big statistic that 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 I think should happen, um, and I'm sure his people are telling him too. So if I'm if I'm Belichick, I do one of two things: uh, I get a feeler out to Buffalo and say, "Look, I want to coach the Bills, and I can take you guys to the next to the next spot." And Buffalo has to consider that. Or you wait another year. You take a year off. I know he's 72, but Belichick is uh, going to live to 100. His father died very, very old. I think Belichick's very, very coherent, and I don't see him losing his marbles any anytime soon. I could see him coaching like Marv Levy did up until his, his late 70s. Um, by the way, Marv Levy's still alive. He's 97. So I think Belichick either – campaign secretly in Buffalo or waits a year for the right opportunity next year. And then if he has to take a chance on a team, at least, you know, he gave it a shot to wait a year for the right moment. And if he doesn't get it, then, you know, just go to a team and try to go get your record. But I'm pretty sure that Bill Belichick wants to win a Super Bowl because he's hearing the the talk about how Tom Brady is the sole reason why he was good, which there's some truth to that. Again, it's a player's game, guys. A coach is only as good as the tools he has. But I think what he maybe didn't understand towards the end was Tom Brady was the greatest eraser of mistakes from a team that probably ever played in, in, in the NFL. When you talk about the greatest quarterback, when you talk about the greatest player, I don't look at the NFL, I don't look at any real any player being the greatest. It's impossible to make that judgment, especially in football. There's too many different positions. You're not going to put Anthony Munoz in that category of greatest football player, right? Anthony Munoz blocked. You know, that's what he did, and he did it very well. How are you going to compare his game to Jerry Rice's game? How are you going to compare Jerry Rice's game 
to Tom Brady. You can't. You can say he's the greatest quarterback of all time, but at the same time, it's like, well, the rules were heavily in favor of allowing him to play as long as he did. If the rules, if Tom Brady comes in five years earlier, he's probably beat up after 10 years at that point. And that's a reality. So comparing is just, it's just not, for football, it's very, very difficult. You have 11 guys on offense, 11 on defense. You just, in my book, you can't. But Brady was the greatest eraser, the greatest eraser of, of mistakes ever. If your defense made a mistake, if, if, if somebody turned the ball over on offense, you could always depend on Brady coming back on the next series and driving the team down and scoring. Or he would just put the fear of God in you and you didn't know what to do with yourself. The only guy that I've seen do that recently is Patrick Mahomes. I don't see that in Lamar Jackson. I don't see that in Brock Purdy. I don't see that in a Jared Goff. Uh, I don't see that in uh, Josh Allen. It's Patrick Mahomes. And until somebody puts a stake in that guy's heart, I'm always going to say that guy's the guy's going to win probably. So that's 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 Belichick's future right now is he's going to try to find at least a team, if he's smart, that has a franchise quarterback that's seasoned that way. He can just pay attention to what he's good at and then just coach up that quarterback enough to where – you know, that team will be able to do the smart things that he that we all know he's good at. And if he wins a Super Bowl, then that discussion becomes a talking point again. We're signaling the ref for a quick timeout, but we'll be back with more of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Needing an edge for your fantasy football team? Listen to the guys at Inside Sports Fantasy Football for insight that will help you reach your league championship. That's Inside Sports Fantasy Football. Check it out today on your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, Craving, no, I don't think Dak Prescott is overrated. Matter of fact, I have immense respect for Dak Prescott. That guy gets abused and abused and abused uh year in and year out due to the inefficiency of his boss his boss jerry jones for the last 28 years and county has been an absolute detriment to the dallas cowboys in terms of winning and his meddling and his condescending operation uh has cost the Cowboy fandom, almost three decades of ineptness. I mean, we're talking about a team that I saw one of the greatest sets of team I've ever seen in my life in terms of talent for a four-year period uh, get turned around because of a guy's ego and his ability to not understand that uh, credit doesn't mean anything unless you win. You know, he wants to win because he wants the credit and that's never changed and it's probably gotten worse and because of that tony romo didn't win because of it we blame tony romo dak prescott isn't winning we blame dak prescott guys this is a team sport it's a team sport and dak prescott was 
an MVP probably 14 weeks in. And then things changed, right? This didn't work out. That didn't work out. Well, you know, there's 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 a mentality that's not there and it never seems to be there. And it, it, it starts from the top to the bottom. And Dak Prescott, in my book, uh, has, has, has been an, a, a, a big professional in all of it. And I, 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 I'm a Steeler fan. I'm not supposed to like the Cowboys, but I do have a lot of respect for Dak Prescott. And I think when you look at what options they have, who are you going to get that's going to be better? What are you going to do? Trade them for a couple first-round picks and then go get Kirk Cousins? What are you going to do? How are you going to find a better quarterback than Dak Prescott? What the Cowboys need to do is they need to find a way to take the pre-senile owner out of the way and bring some football people in here that can focus on getting the right coach to coaching up this team the right way. It won't happen. It won't happen as long as Jerry Jones is there. When Jerry Jones is gone, there might be a chance that things change. But then again, we've seen Mark Davis in, in, in Las Vegas. And not much has changed there, but we'll see if that changes as well. Uh, Mahomes reminds me more of a controlled Brett Favre, uh, Jasmine. Uh, and that's the scariest quarterback on the planet. I said that the first year he, he, he started at Kansas City. I said, this guy is a Brett Favre with discipline. And that, in my book, is the greatest physical quarterback you could have and he's shown it and he's two wins away um, from putting himself in a category where even at after seven years you could have an argument it's probably not true yet but if somebody comes to me and says Joe Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback let's just say in the last 30 years and I'd be like, you have an argument. You have an argument. Physical, mental, constant change. You know, he loses Ty Hill. He's got a bunch of one and one, two year receivers. Kelsey's kind of, you know, gone down a couple levels, still effective, but he's gone down a couple levels. The defense is a little bit better this year than it had been in the past. So that helped him. But either way, Patrick Mahomes has it. He has it. And when you have it, you, you, you can never bet against that guy. And until you see him lose, you always assume that he's going to come out at the end because he usually does. Uh, yeah, Jerry Jones wants to... <sighs> Jerry Jones wants to do what he wants to do. And that works. I can relate to that. I get it. But at the same time, this is about losses and wins. This isn't about making money. If it's about making money, the decisions he usually makes are probably going to be correct, which that's his realm, making money. What isn't his realm is conducting a football team, knowing the intricacies of the, as, as crazy as that sounds, he's owned the Cowboys since 1988, <clears throat> 89. Yet he doesn't show anything from my perspective that he really knows how football really works. 
the guy he hired in 1989 knew how to work football. He knew how to draft. He knew how to develop. He knew how to coach. He knew how to communicate. He was a psychology guy. He knew how guys thought and and reacted. Uh, he was at the optimum level too. Most great coaches have that ability to do all those things I told you. And Jerry Jones has too much of a inferiority complex to be that guy. He needs to pat on the back. And when a, when a grown man, especially someone as powerful as Jerry Jones, acts like a, a petulant child and needing credit, I, it's, it's, it's sad. It's sad. And Cowboy Nation and Cowboy fandom, whatever the hell they call themselves, you know, they're the ones that have to suffer through this because they're not walking away. They're not going anywhere. Every year, the, 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 the value of the, of the Cowboys goes up and up, and that's due to all you Cowboy fans who continue to watch this team not be able to reach a conference final in, what, 28 years now. Uh, so coming from a Steeler fan and, and, and a competitive side, you guys can go ahead and keep eating that, that Jerry Jones sandwich because for us, from a competitive standpoint, we like what Jerry's doing, but from a objective standpoint, uh, absolute disaster. He's been a disaster since J- Jimmy Johnson left. Uh, that little, you know, Super Bowl he won after Jimmy left. That was that was what I call the the the, the, the fool's gold uh, because that was Jimmy's team. Barry Switzer won with Jimmy's team, kind of like how Mike Tomlin won with Bill Cowher's teams. Uh, with his Super Bowl twice with Bill Cowher's players. As soon as he was able to start getting his own players, that's when things went down. Um, results, baby. Results. We are in the results business. So any smart person in sports, especially in sports, because sports is different than regular business. If business is about winning, then you, you need to prove that that's your number one priority. And if it's not, because you're stubborn to hire the right people or to make the right decisions, then you're not really serious about winning. You're, you care about yourself. And that's Jerry Jones to a T. It's hard not to say Brady isn't the best coming from a lifelong Joe Montana fan. Um, Petty, my cat, a lot of comparisons to Joe Montana, although they were completely different players. Joe Montana was actually an athletic quarterback. He could run. Um I thought he had a more accurate football delivery, but that's kind of how the West Coast offense was. Was you had to you had to you had to get that ball delivered perfectly on those slants to Jerry Rice and John Taylor, uh, whereas Tom Brady was more dink and duck. And then every once in a while he'd throw it deep when the Patriots gave him somebody to throw it to, which was really only a couple times. He had Randy Moss. And then on occasion, you know, somebody like a Jacoby Meyer, that's it. Um, but the eras mattered, folks. Jerry, uh, John, John, Joe Montana got the ever-living you-know-what beat out of him. And he still played 16 seasons. Granted, I think a couple of those seasons he was injured. So he played 14 seasons of actual football. And he played it in an era where he got the you-know-what beat out of him. Uh, if he had played 22 years and had Bill Walsh for 20 of those years, I would say there's a very good chance that Joe Montana would have been. It was protected like the NFL is now. I I say that Joe Montana would have had a very good shot at winning six, seven Super Bowls too. 
making money is winning tight. Um, what's weird about the making money part, that everybody in the NFL makes money in terms of the owners. How much more money does Jerry Jones want? I don't think it's about the money with Jerry Jones at this point, or even back then. It's about the padding of the back. He is chasing that rabbit of, I don't need this guy. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. But you can't. You're not doing it. 28 years later, don't you think after 10 years, you would have started saying, man, I got I to gotta, I gotta chase this back up. But he hasn't. 28 years, guys. You're talking about there is a Dallas Cowboy fan that's 28 years old that grew up and a cowboy family. And this is America's team. This is the most valued team on the planet. Yet they have never seen the Cowboys in an NFC championship game. A stoic, historic team. That's Jerry Jones for you, baby. Keep up the good work, Jerry, by the way. I just feel bad for Dak. I think Dak should request to get traded somewhere else. I take him to Pittsburgh. I think we could definitely use him. Um, and if Belichick didn't bench Malcolm Butler against the Eagles, Brady would have eight rings. Hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily true. And I'll tell you why. Philly won that Super Bowl because Peterson, Doug Peterson, hit on every trick play and every risk play which no one would have expected. That Super Bowl was won by Doug Peterson risking and chancing at the right moments and his players executed it at the right moment. If one of those situations doesn't go through, the New England Patriots win the Super Bowl. I mean, they had to play perfect, and they did Philly played about as perfect a football game as they could have, as any team could have played. And that's why they won because Brady was a probably, that was probably Brady's best Super Bowl. He passed for over 500 yards. He had one mistake, sack for sack fumble. And that ended up being the difference in the game, right? So the principles, right? Talk about principles. Well, Malcolm Butler screwed up and got. And Bill Belichick stuck to his principles. There's some admiration there. I have some admiration for him there. I don't know if it would have made a difference, guys. I really don't. Does Malcolm Butler snuff out Nick Foles on that trick play at the low line? I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. Malcolm Butler made one amazing play in a Super Bowl a few years earlier uh, that was predicated on the fact that the team practiced that particular play. Uh, he made the play. Don't get me wrong. He gets credit for it. But that was prepared by by the coaching staff. They put him in the right spot. Something that we talk about a lot with Darvin Ham and the Lakers and why Darvin Ham suffers in the coaching area because he doesn't know where to put certain players in, in, in terms of their right spots where they can succeed. So they're not I, – I can't say that that was the main problem. I, I, I can't say – that was the problem. I think the problem that night was Philly played the perfect game and Doug Peterson called uh, the perfect plays at the perfect moments and his team executed it. 
Patriots defense couldn't stop the Eagles. That Super Bowl Brady did throw for over you. Yeah, it's just not. I, I, you know, the, I watched that game. I remember it was like yesterday. Doug Peterson grew a third ball in that game. I couldn't believe the calls he was making, and I couldn't believe they were making them. Um, and I give credit to him. He should have been the MVP. Honestly, I think Doug Peterson should have been the MVP of the Super Bowl. The first coach to win MVP of Super Bowl. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Um, let's see here. We want to get back to... Did I miss anybody else's uh, Chargers are going to win a Super Bowl before the Cowboys? Jay, uh, if you're still listening, yes. Uh, I'd say right now with Jim Harbaugh getting the quarterback that I'm sure he wanted, there's going to be some fireworks in L.A. The only thing that sucks is I wish, I really, really, really wish the Chargers were still in San Diego. San Diego right now would be popping. L.A. doesn't deserve this. LA's got, L.A. has the Rams. They have the Lakers. They have the Dodgers. I wish San Diego still had the Chargers. I think the games in San Diego were much better to go to. And when the team always had good players, uh, they were always there to support, and the atmosphere was there was amazing. Uh, Dean Spanos just really screwed the city of San Diego, and when they were voting for a new stadium, the citizens of San Diego told them to go eat it. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's frustrating that they did do that. But at, at the same time, when you look at the, the scenarios with that, uh, we're talking about a city that ended up paying for uh, all the season tickets that weren't covered when they were at the uh, Qualcomm Stadium. So they were paying for seats that weren't filled as an agreement with the city from the Chargers demanding it. And throughout all this, they never seemed to get anything out of it in terms of winning championships or any kind of positivity from that guy. And they finally said, look, we're done. We give up, get out of here. So um, we're coming up to the end here on the show, guys. Uh, If you have any other questions, go ahead and uh, send them to me right now. But what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to finish off the, uh, the show with a little more info on what's coming here with the Lakers road, road, uh, Grammy trip road trip um i'm gonna go with the pros and then i'm gonna go with the cons pros is they're seeing some of the 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 the, the role players like d'angelo russell and vando starting to play well my my hope is that there is uh, an advantage being taken with that. If you've seen that Vando is going to be effective now and is being healthy from that precise injury he had at the beginning of the year, and then you have D'Angelo, whose confidence right now is through the roof and in hitting shots that are, you know, the kind of shots that the Lakers really need. Um, if they can start taking advantage of that and putting those guys in, in, in positions to continue to succeed and LeBron and AD stay healthy and really take on some leadership role here that kind of goes up a level a little bit and get these guys to start thinking about going on a win streak. They can start doing that here on the, on the Grammy trip. It could be something here. Um, and that's more of an analysis objective view of it. Just saying if the con is my gut tells me we're going to keep seeing what we've seen because of the fact that, no matter what has happened this year, it's been against everything we predicted. Uh, AD 
playing healthy all year hasn't meant any difference. LeBron not having any major injury hasn't changed anything. Vando playing well. D'Angelo being the bona fide third option. All these things that we would normally say, this is what we need to start winning. It's not happening. It's still win one, lose one. Win two, lose two. So I don't know. I don't know where that goes. I really don't. And um, we're going to have to wait and see how that goes. You can start Vando and Prince with Austin off the bench. They're going to have to start Vando if he continues to play well on offense. Because, again, Prince, Austin, and D'Angelo on the defensive side has already shown that they produce all-time GOAT stats. Not greatest of all-time stats. I'm talking like the original code for GOAT. Like bad they have to start Vando at some point here. But Vando has to continue to play well on offense. And if he can shoot that corner three at least a couple times a game and make it, that would make a world of difference because we can obviously see his defense is immensely improved compared to Torian Prince or any of the other guards. And today, I mean, he was – there was even two or three steals he, he had a fingernail on. So his anticipation tonight was very good, and it's getting better, it seems. So if the Lakers are to improve, they're going to need uh, Vando to play really well on offense and, and in terms of his standard. And, of course, we know that his defense is going to be uh, there as long as he's healthy. Uh, the offensive part, the reason why it's important there is, is we have to have that floor spread out. And if you can't get that floor spread out, then it's going to be much harder for spacing for AD and for LeBron to get to the basket. So with that, I want to thank everyone for being here at the Lakers fast break nightcap with Joe Sorrell. Uh, any, any questions that you conjure up here before, uh, after we get off the show, uh, please email us or you can get on tomorrow. We can talk then we'll, I'm sure we'll have some snack packs tomorrow. And then of course, uh, Saturday's game as well. Uh, if uh, if there's other sport questions too, don't hesitate to ask, guys. I know uh, this is a Laker channel, but you know I'm I'm a, I'm a sportsman. Uh, it's what I do, and the nightcap is supposed to be us relaxing and just kind of shooting the you know what, and that's what I want this to be. And if you guys are having a drink like I am, salute to all of you. Uh, for those of you on the East Coast, thank you for staying up. For those of you who are listening uh, on Apple or on YouTube later today in your car. Again, I thank you for taking the time to listen to me. If you guys have any questions, please don't hesitate to ask on YouTube in the comments section or on Apple or, again, on the shows that we have in the future here. Until then, I'll see you next time.